You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much today for tuning into the podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, app, Google Play, SoundCloud, and of course on sportsblognewyork.com. Hit me up and join the conversation on Twitter at sportblognyc or my personal Twitter, which is at pkennedy with two Y's on the end. Now joining me on today's pod is my good friend Steven Rosen, who's an assistant coach at Georgia State University. It's a Division One program. He's a part of the baseball team, and he's also a founder of Catch Big Academy, which you should definitely check out on Twitter and Instagram. I definitely recommend the Instagram, which is at Catch Big Academy, where you can see him training some legit, legit Division One athletes and beyond, uh, become better catchers, baseball players, and athletes all around. Now, Steve and I talked about a plethora of things, including the MLB All-Star Week, uh, the Home Run Derby, and its electricity with Bryce Harper leading the way. We talked about the MLB at large, the state of the game. We talked about the stars, or maybe lack thereof, and how Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and alike need to step up to continue to carry this game and bring back some of its popularity across the board. We also talked more about college athletics, the Catch Big Academy, some of the athletes that my man Steve Rosen has been training, and also about the Yankees and what they should do moving forward. And the Mets, do they have a plan? And little tidbit at the end, Steve Rosen, in his young experience before being a coach at Georgia State, may or may have not had some experience in the Knicks front office. How about that for a tease? That's the last thing we talked about, amongst so much more. But stay tuned for the interview with Steve Rosen. You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I'm your host, and joining me today on the program is my buddy, my old pal from college. We actually played baseball together, and now he's on to doing bigger and better things in the world of baseball. Division One coach at Georgia State University, assistant coach, founder of the Catch Big Academy, Steve Rosen, my old pal. What's up, my man? What's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you. I am doing well. You know, me and you are chatting right now. We have the All-Star Game in the background. It's Tuesday night here for us. Listeners will be listening to this on Wednesday. I'm very excited to have you because, you know, you're about as ingrained in the world of baseball as anybody I know at this point. And what better what better time to talk about, like, the state of baseball, the state of the MLB, and, and everything that has to go along with it than during the All-Star Game where we see the best of the best under the bright lights in D.C. and we get to chat some baseball, man. It's great. Dan, I'm looking forward to it. Couldn't be happier to be here. Like you said, it's perfect time. We got the All-Star game on both TVs right now. Just happy to be here, ready to talk some baseball, ready to get into some Knicks and some NBA as well. So thanks again for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you threw that in there because I know I couldn't let you get away. Uh, We'll save it for the end. (laughs) We'll save it for the end because I know you're a basketball guy, basketball fan. We're even going to talk about stuff like specialization in sports. And now you, you know, with the Catch Big Academy, you're training kids, you know, as young as like 12 years old to as old as uh, college or above even to become the best baseball players they can be. So you know all about specialization, but you're also uh, a student athlete of sorts who played basketball in high school and played baseball and did other things and, and was a, a rounded athlete. So we'll talk about things like that. We'll talk about 
today's generation uh, of baseball, you know, the state of the league. Also, we'll throw in a little trade rumors. Maybe talk about Manny Machado, the Mets, and the Yankees, and uh, how tanking has now trickled across all sports, NFL, NBA, MLB. It's everywhere. Uh, but first, I have a little story. Uh, Steve, this is a <laughs> this is going to throw back for us. So you and I were freshmen together on our college baseball team. And, you know, we're freshmen. We weren't getting much time. We're in our Florida spring training trip. And we're in the room with two upperclassmen who have been starting for like three-plus years and we're happy to be there. We're having a good time. You know, we have a big game in the morning. But you and I, we weren't getting much time. So we're, we're hanging out a little bit later. We're playing some MLB The Show in our hotel room, hanging out. And I remember you saying to me, like, basically what you've been learning from your freshman year and how, how you can't wait to put it towards your coaching career. And us being this young and being, you know, a couple of years out of college and you're already at a D1 program, congratulations to you. Do you remember that day? Absolutely. I, I for sure do. I even remember, I, I don't remember if you came with me, but I do remember taking a jog to the local grocery store and picking up some groceries for the whole crew in, inside the uh, the hotel we were staying at. But I remember yeah. that day. I think we even were watching some Entourage before we threw the show on. Yes, that's so fact. that was facts. Absolutely remember that. I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, you know, right when we got to TCNJ and we, we started getting involved with college ball and, uh, going through that, that first initial season, I just, I realized that, uh, even if playing at the next level wasn't really in my future, uh, after that season, I, I just knew that I had to be around the game. I, I had a passion for learning it. I had a passion for talking about it with others and then really, uh, ultimately growing into this new passion of mine of just kind of teaching it to the next generation and do, doing the best I can the way that, uh, the coaches that I had had do it for me that, you know, I had a lot. I was fortunate to have tons of great coaches growing up, and um, something they always were talking about with me was the fact that I was coachable myself, and that was something that always stuck with me. And you know, just building those relationships with great coaches my whole life, I just knew that uh, being in in their foot in their shoes was uh, exactly what I wanted to be doing myself. Couldn't be happier. I'm loving my position. Couldn't be more thankful to Coach Coach Brady at Georgia State for the opportunity. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm loving every bit of it. Well, that's fantastic, and we're going to talk a lot more about you know your coaching experience. You coaching some of these these athletes who you know they can be twelve years old, but they have major league expectations, and you're in charge of bringing them up and through. We're going to talk about Georgia State. We're going to talk about Catch Big. If you're listening to the podcast, while you do, go to Instagram at Catch Big Academy. That's Steve Rosen's uh, training Instagram, where he posts videos with his uh, recruits and his players, and it's a really good follow if you're into the game of baseball for catchers, hitters, baseball players alike. It's fantastic, so check that out for sure. But let's get into some real MLB uh, MLB baseball here for a moment, too. First things first, it is the All-Star Weekend, so it's a good place to start. This is one of the big moments of the MLB season, so it's kind of a quiet point in sports across the board, but you have these two days where there's basically nothing else in the world of sports going on other than the home run derby and then the all-star game. So Steve, last night, I know we texted about it. There may be a guy who you uh, have an affinity to who may have won the home run derby last night, but what did you think of the whole thing? Did you, did you think it lived up to the hype? Uh, where was the excitement my, level for you? My man, as, as soon as he came out rocking that American flag headband, I, I knew the home run derby was over. So I knew he was going to take it right then. I thought that he, he put on a show. To me, it even seemed, seemed like he saved a little bit of energy just to make it a little bit of exciting for the crowd, which was awesome because that's what it's all about anyway. But uh, I was a huge fan. I know there's been a lot of knock on the Home Run Derby in recent years. I don't really know why, but 
after the rule changes and the adjustments they've made to it, I think it's for sure right back up there as, as a great event in the middle of the summer. Uh, I, I think it was even Keith Oberman today who was saying it kind of has taken a step above the All-Star game in the past few years as, as the real midsummer classic. So I thought that was interesting to hear today. But yeah, I, I'm a huge Harper fan. So to see him take it, uh, take the crown in his home city or in his in his in Washington D.C. where he plays is uh, was just awesome. I, I couldn't have been uh, more entertained by how it turned out. Uh, and and the way he did it with the flair for the dramatic at the end. I mean, I think every round that he won, he won. I mean, obviously he went second in his round, so he only could win in the walk-off fashion. But he won in in closing seconds. Like he took it down to the wire. And I know he had that extra 30 seconds, so he might have had a chance if he missed a couple swings. But he takes Schwarbo to the wire, uh, takes his bonus time, and walks it off. It was electric. And, you know, I was actually working last night at the fan, so I'm in the in the newsroom, and there's a bunch of people in there. And some people are poo-pooing it. They're saying, oh, this gimmicky BS, it's not, it's not like what it used to be. There's no stars in this game. There's only Bryce Harper and a bunch of people no one cares about. And, and that's going to lead to a bigger conversation we have, or that we're going to have today about the MLB in general. Um, so do you think, you know, Bryce Harper is a bona fide star. His stats aren't where the, he wants them to be, I'm sure, at this point in the season. But when you think about MLB as a whole, and you think about Harper and Trout and some of these other st- uh, stars like Aaron Judge, and the, the names start getting tough to say because we were talking about it before we started recording. It's like, all right. Paul Goldschmidt has been a really, really awesome first baseman for a couple of years. But, like, who cares about him? You know what I mean? Exactly. Jo- Joey Votto, another one. And Joey Votto, exactly, another great example. And it's like, who across the league cares about him? We grew up with these players like Alex Rodriguez and, and Derek Jeter mm-hmm. and Ichiro and Barry Bonds, who were, like, part of history, who were part of uh, the things we learned about as kids and, like, read little books and biographies on in, in library at school. Do you feel like that is something that's truly missing from the game right now, or do you think that's an overplayed narrative? I, I think it's absolutely a little bit of both. I, I think the, the guys are there. The, the faces, the, the names that the game wants and needs, they're definitely there. You know, you see it with Harper, you see it with Trout, uh, some of these other younger guys that are coming up and making names for themselves, um, Machado, other proven all-stars who have been there. The talent is there. These guys are like once-in-a-generation like talents. Um, their personalities should be uh, in in the front of everybody. They should be everywhere. And for some reason, I don't, I don't necessarily think baseball has that same pull the way maybe the NBA does with their their individuals and their personalities. And, and why that is, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I don't think it's a lack of talent by any means. I definitely think that the superstars are there. And, you know, it's something that pops out into my head and the, when you bring up how MLB – may or may not be doing their share to get these guys' names out there. One thing that pop, that pops right into my head is social media. And, and speaking to you is perfect about this as you've grown and grown your Catch Big Academy brand on social media, posting these videos, posting your content, highlights from the, from the people that you train, what they take and put into action. So you obviously use social media. And I think the NBA is looked at as this social media sport where they're a little bit more free willing to give out their highlights to, you know, uh, accounts like NBA on TNT or Bleacher Report or House of Highlights or or name it. Like even even Joe Schmo, like me or you, can take an NBA video that we find on the internet and post it on our Instagram, and nothing's going to happen. The MLB and the NFL have these very strict social media rules that if you're not uh, the right account or one of their verified accounts, you can get spammed, you can get reported, you can get your account 
locked or the the post taken down if you post highlights. Do you think in this social media era that that may have a real impact on it? Absolutely. And, and not only that, but the NBA is also very advocate about uh, encouraging their players to speak openly about their opinions and their beliefs on, on many things, but the social matters being one of them. So that's one thing. But absolutely, with the social media stuff as well, I think that couldn't be more true. Uh, I, I believe it's there's a Twitter account, uh, Pitching Ninja, at Pitching Ninja, who right. puts out some really, really great uh, pitching information and some and some highlights of some some awesome stuff, great things for kids to be watching to develop their game and learn how to pitch. And I think he even got shut down for a couple of days because he was uh, somehow he reported on Twitter uh, posting videos that I guess he didn't necessarily have the, uh, the property uh, for, but he had, oh, ultimately was given back the rights because of how many people were outspoken about wanting his information back on Twitter because of how helpful it was for them and their development as pitchers. So He's back posting things. So that's another great account to check out for anybody who's listening. Any pitchers out there at Pitching Ninja put some really great stuff out there. But exactly like you said, they're real strict with what what uh, content they want out there and uh, who specifically is putting it out there. Like it just doesn't feel like a winning strategy for me to hold back your content. You know, we're in this world where content's at everybody's fingertips at all times. You know, if you have a show, especially you know our generation. There's no show we can't watch, whether it's on HBO, on FX, on CBS. We we have a way. We can figure it out. You know, we have our parents' cable package, or we have uh, a, a login for Netflix or HBO or Hulu or something. We can figure out a way, uh, legally or maybe not. Who's to say to to watch stuff? You know, and that goes to that goes to sports. And you want the highlights now. So, for example, I remember Javi Baez, who seems to be one of the most exciting players in the league. He's one guy who. I find myself turning to as a guy who I'm willing to watch because uh, I don't know how many people are appointment television in the in the MLB. Javi Baez is a guy who's growing into possibly that. And I'm working the other day at the fan, and Aaron Judge just went absolutely Oh, hard. my God. He, he absolutely crushed that ball. <laughs> Wait, so this is not live. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're rec- recording live based off our reaction right there. Um People are listening to this tomorrow, so this is really bad podcasting. But Aaron Judge just hit an absolute bomb. Uh, that was awesome. Oh, uh, where was I? Um, <laughs> I can't believe how flustered I just got from Aaron Judge. He knocked my socks <laughs> off right there. Uh, but uh, Javi Baez stole home the other day, and it was like such an amazing play where the guy picked off first. He was on third. He books it for home. Incredible slide. You know, swim moves the catcher and ducks in for for a steal of home, which you don't see every day. And now I'm on Twitter. I'm I'm peru- I'm searching. I'm like, I'm trying to find this video so bad, so bad, so bad. After five to ten minutes, the only thing I could find of it is a gif. It's a gif until about twenty minutes later, the MLB app, which does a really good job with a lot of stuff, then they put out the video. If that was a Giannis Antetokounmpo dunk over Tim Hardaway when he jumped over him, I mean, I go on Instagram and. 12 seconds later it's on there it's a really Not only weird on there, thing but you'd see you'd see 14 videos of it in a row in a row on your timeline <laughs> exactly um so you're working with some of these kids right you're working with what are the, what's the youngest kid you're training right now uh i got a buddy or a kid i'm training he's 12 years old and he, uh, he's a stud arson he's a stud <laughs> i love working with him he works real hard and the kid's got a bright future because i could tell uh just from his work ethic right now how, how much he loves the game how much he loves learning about it so 12 is the youngest kid I'm working with. 
And then I, uh, I have a couple guys who are in minor league ball right now with a couple different teams. So I, I think 26 is the oldest that I'm working with. So think about, you know, maybe he's a bad example because he's obviously very much so involved in baseball to the highest extent a 12-year-old can be. How much does social media play a role in his fanhood of the game? Oh, I'm sure it's everything. That's the only information that he probably gets, and it's probably not enough for what he wants with how involved he is in the game. So I see these kids every time they come into work, you know, just sitting in the uh, in the waiting room waiting to get going. You know, they're scrolling through Instagram. They're constantly checking the same stuff that, that we do on all different social media accounts. And uh, like you and I are both agreeing right now, I just think there's a uh, there's just a lack of baseball content that's out there and that's available for guys, which is why it's so great to see the, uh, the coaching community within the game of baseball so active and trying to get uh, ideas out there and, and teach things through video and social media and really get the word out for uh, improving the game, both at the youth and high school and, and even at the college levels. But I, I totally agree with you. I think there's a, a lack of content out there, which is unfortunate for the kids who are so hungry to, to get better and to learn. Yeah, it is very interesting, but it's a it's a good way to, to combat it for just to get other content out there from from people like you and different teams across the country, whether it be colleges or or, or whatnot. Uh, let me talk to you about this. So we mentioned Aaron Judge, we mentioned Bryce Harper, we mentioned Mike Trout, uh, who probably isn't as popular as he should be. Maybe that's something that he wants. Maybe Mike Trout isn't the type of guy who wants the spotlight. Obviously, Bryce Harper seems like the guy who does want it a little more. But who are the other guys, in your opinion, who maybe have a little bit of that spotlight now, who may earn some more in the coming years? But who are some of the other stars of baseball for you who, when you see them on TV, where you're like, wow, I want to make sure I catch this guy's at bat or catch this guy's inning on the mound? For sure. I think two come to mind right off the bat. And it's interesting because both aren't really the physical stature of, a, say, an Aaron Judge, the 6'7", 280-pound body. But I think the two that jump out to me are are uh, Torres with the Yankees, Flavor Torres, who came up this year and made his first, uh, first All-Star game as a rookie. Impressive man right there. Uh, I think that kid's going to be uh, a stud in New York City. I think he's going to blow up similar to the way that to, uh, I, I hate to make the comparison at such a young age, but Derek Jeter, the way he blew up when he was in his prime with the Yankees, I, I think I see that in uh, Torres' future for sure, just with his personality, his persona, the way he plays the game, the energy, the attitude he brings. I think he's got total makeup to be that star in New York City. Uh, and then a second one that I see, uh, I've actually got to see him play in person a bunch of different times this year, being so close to the Atlanta Braves Stadium, but Ozzy Albies, man, that kid can swing it. And the kid is five foot nine. He's got some of the fastest hands I've ever seen uh, in a baseball swing. And uh, like I said, not the physical size or stature of a guy like Judge, but has uh, the potential to be just as good as good as him, if not better, with uh, his makeup and his ability to, and the way he plays the game. So those are two that jump out to me: Torres and Al uh, Ozzy Albies. I I absolutely love the Glaber Torres. Just the whole thing he's got going on right now because. There's a couple different type of people. You know, obviously there's a ton of Hispanic-speaking people in the MLB, and I think that's fantastic. And they're literally some of the most talented people in our game's history. And one thing that you see with, you know, a lot of them, rightfully so, will use a translator uh, as much as they can because they don't want to be misquoted. They don't want to be put in a bad situation. And whether they speak better English than they let on or they don't at all, 
they they really do like to lean on that, and that's completely fine and 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 their and their call. But what I see with Glaber Torres, whose English I mean I know because I cut up his post game interviews at, at work, <laughs> his English isn't fantastic, but he is so willing to put himself out there and stutter through some sentences, but really just be out there, smile, and talk to the reporters. He seems to want to go that extra step to go above and beyond. Um, what a, what a player needs to do. He could easily kind of sit back and just get through the interviews and get out of there and, 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 and lean on that inability or you know lack of experience he has with the English language. But he is so willing to put himself out there that I can see him becoming a face of the Yankees type character. And when you are the face of the Yankees, you are the face of baseball. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think Labor Torres on field speaks for himself. And I think off the field, he has the makings of an absolute role model, fantastic human being baseball player, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more at, at everything you said right there. I think he's got, again, just the persona that fits perfectly in New York City. I think he's going to be the uh, the type of guy that embraces it instead of shying away from it, maybe like we were talking about some of the other guys may choose to do, which is totally right and totally up to them and no problem at all. But I think that Torres is a guy that would it seems to be like he chooses to embrace it instead of shying away from it. So I, I think big things are coming for him. And uh, I think it's, it says something about the um, – the moves that Brian Cashman makes as a general manager, just he, this was all part of the move to uh, send Chapman away for the second half of the season, but then fully understanding he probably was going to get him back at the end of that season. And what a genius move it turned out to be ending up with Torres to that deal. Yeah, man, what an amazing turnaround. I mean, granted, the Cubs ended the, the drought with the help of Araldis Chapman. It totally worked but, for both sides. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Man, it must be it must be a slightly tough pill to swallow for Theo Epstein to just look at Glaber Torres being the stud that he is already. Be like, ah, and I don't even have the guy I traded for. <laughs> exactly. I bet he feels better about it with a ring on his finger, though. So at least he's got that going for him. That is absolutely correct. But let's take this moment to talk a little bit about the New York Yankees. They've obviously been included in so many trade conversations, yet they do have a fantastic team already. So, and 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 Steve, you are a Yankees fan, correct? Absolutely. Okay, I, I thought so, but I wanted to make sure. So you have been following this team, even though you're down in Atlanta. Uh, so you can root for the Braves because I'm sure you don't care about the Mets too much. But you are a Yankees fan, true and true. So there are moves that have been rumored. There are rooms that have been just rumored by callers on talk radio, like Jacob DeCrom going to the, the Yankees, because that'll never happen. The Mets and the Yankees <laughs> will just not make that trade. But the Manny Machado situation has become more interesting. There's the J.A. Haps of the world. There's the uh, Cole Hamels of the world. Where do you land in this moment, 29 games above 500 at the All-Star break, four and a half games back from the Red Sox? Where do you land on this team? Is it necessity to make a move, if it is a necessity, or if they're going to just ride with the squad they got now? I would be totally fine with riding with the, uh, the squad that we have right now. I, I wouldn't be opposed to making a move for a starting pitcher, but not at, at, not at too much of a cost. Look, I think that they have all the pieces in place to be a championship caliber team for, for quite some time. So I, I don't think that there's any need just because of the Red Sox success right now to rush into any emergency moves. I think the Red Sox are going to even out as the season kind of plays itself out. And I think the Yankees will pick up a couple games on them here right after the All-Star break. But uh, I, I don't see there being a huge need to make an emergency move right now. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I think the Yankees have sort of shifted from this idea around baseball that uh, everybody doesn't seem to like them. It, it used to seem like everybody hated them, to be honest. It, like they were the warriors of baseball, basically, 
but uh, it seems like in these past couple of years, they just they have too many good things going for them for you to hate them too much, unless that's just me being a biased Yankee fan. But you know, all the young talent, just the home runs, the the pop, the power. They have, they have a lot of things going for them right now. They're fun teams to watch. I think a lot of people around baseball enjoy watching them. And any move that is slightly similar to that Warriors uh, signing of DeMarcus Cousins, bringing in Machado like that, anything to ruin that that image that I think they've gained in these last two years, I, I wouldn't be so quick to uh, to push an emergency move right now. I'm, I'm happy with the state of the Yankees. I think that they, uh, like I said, are going to be a championship caliber team for quite some time now. Well, let me remind you that the Warriors were not always aided. Yeah, if you could think back to when we were uh, what juniors, exactly, yeah. juniors and seniors in college, they were the up and coming fun team with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson playing like a new upbeat style. They were electric basketball. They were ball movement. They were threes. They literally changed the league. And now teams have just changed their approach to try to keep up with them. There's Almost a very, similar to what, what the Yanks are doing with, with their home runs. It's oh my gosh. interesting to see, exactly. to see how the two, the two compare. It's, it's really, really interesting. And, you know, baseball kind of kicked it off with the whole money ball thing back then with the Oakland A's. But basketball is on that bandwagon. I mean, think about Daryl Morey. They call it Morey ball. Obviously, it's a play on money exactly. ball. But it's three-pointers, it's layups and dunks, and it's free throws. And in baseball, it's walk like get on base whether it be hits or walks doesn't matter and hit home runs and that's what it's about and it's a it's a calculation it where it gets interesting is in playoff time does the game change when it gets slower do you can you rely on that same metric you know what i mean so it gets a little bit tricky um but do you see now like i want to ask you this because the warriors obviously were this likable team and then they win a ring they're starting to get a little bit hated steph curry does a couple more shimmies he went back to back mvps <laughs> now people don't love him can you see that type of thing happening with Aaron Judge? Because personally, Aaron Judge is a likable dude to me. He's a huge monster, which could be a bad thing, but he's so nice. He's got a big old smile. He seems kind of playful, but he takes the game serious. He plays with respect. Can you see the narrative being flipped on him, or do you see him in the Jeter-esque realm of just being loved? I, I, I'm with you. I, like, again, I'm a diehard Yankees fan, so I don't know if it's, it's bias coming for me, but he, he seems like a totally likable guy who, who just has everything going for him, and, and it's pretty hard to hate on him, in my opinion. So I think as long as he continues to have success and handle it the right way, he seems like he handles the New York media perfect to a T. I don't know if there's been someone so young who has, who has handled it quite as well as he has, but... Um, I, I don't necessarily see that hatred around the league building f- from his success. I think that he's, like you said, too much of a likable guy for that to happen. I do, like you said, I think it's similar to the Warriors. If the Yankees come out here and run a couple of championships back-to-back or a few in a couple of years, then, yeah, you'll see some uh, some hate around the league thrown their way. But I don't know if it'll be specifically towards Aaron Judge. Yeah, I don't think it'll be towards Aaron Judge either, but the Yankees will definitely start get, catching the hate again. Because <laughs> obviously, sure. you Yankee fans run deep. I mean, I, I was listening to Colin Cowherd the other day, and he was talking about just the different brands of sports and how it, it's actually, I mean, I couldn't agree more, and I've said this on the pod before, but he's like he's saying how it's, it's such a, a false narrative that dynasties are bad for sports. And I, I've tried to hammer this home on the pod over and over again. People try to complain about the Warriors, but realistically... The Warriors have been great for basketball to this point, and people will complain, and people will trash me on Twitter, or people will just say Kevin Durant's a snake, and this and that, but the fact of the matter is that basketball is as popular as it ever been, and to me, as a Mets fan who's completely sad and cannot really even turn on SNY at this point, 
I want the Yankees to be good because every year for the past three years, probably I've before the baseball season started, been all excited, been all jazzed up, ready to watch. And my fantasy baseball team's ready. And then a couple weeks in, I'm just checking my stats. I'm checking my fantasy team. I'm not really turning anything on. But last year when the Yankees were surging, they took the league by storm and they became a narrative. Uh, the narratives some, sometimes run a little dry in the MLB, and the Yankees are a big one. So you're not being biased. I mean, you might be. But I think you're being biased with reason. When the Yankees are good, baseball is good. And that's just how it is. Exactly. And it's the same thing in, in all sports, just like you said, with the dynasties, uh, when the best, the best and biggest markets are good teams, it's, it couldn't, it's the best thing that could happen for the game. Just like LeBron going to L.A. when the Lakers are good, good things happen for the league. So uh, I think the Yankees being good is great for baseball. I think the Red Sox being good is great for baseball. Uh, and similar to other sports where I think having, uh, like I said, big market teams, big names, Boston Celtics, Los Angeles Lakers, uh, New England Patriots, anytime those teams are, are good, successful teams. And I, I think it's just great for the league, great for everybody involved. And then, you know, some people who are fans of little small market teams may be complaining, we have no chance, we have no this, we have no that. That's not true. And you maybe can't drive the narrative, but when you have Goliath, these little small market teams become David, and that's part of the the good type of narrative. You know what I mean? So the Indians are Cleveland. Cleveland never wins, right? So if Cleveland's versus the Yankees, you have New York Yankees championship uh, pedigree versus the lo- the lovable losers, and there becomes your battle. But if you have the Indians versus the Royals in the ALCS, I'm sorry, no one outside cares about that championship. So and we had that we had some similar to that a few times when the Royals were coming up, and I, I like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if the ratings were as good as what it would be if it's the Red Sox and Yankees and the ALCS or or two big name teams like that. But I totally agree with you. All right, so let's flip the narrative from good baseball to bad baseball. The New York Mets are a team in our market, unfortunately, so we got to talk about them for a hot <laughs> moment. Uh, and we could tie this into this tanking narrative that goes around in sports right now. Obviously, the NBA kind of made it popular in a way even though it's been happening for years, all the way back to an example from our lifetime. The Spurs were a very good team, but David Robinson gets hurt, and the Spurs go into the tank and land Tim Duncan, and the rest is history. So this is not a brand-new idea. It's just been more on the forefront than ever. So the Mets are in this weird place now, and you, I would like to take your non-Mets fan. This is where you can be unbiased here. I would like (laughs) to take your opinion on this. They're in a place where they have an opportunity to sell, but they may be thinking, all right, let's retool, and we're actually not as bad as we think. But it kind of, to the the Mets fan eye right now, feels like they're stuck in the middle and they're actually doing no strategy at all. So with the Mets and some of these teams that are meddling or actually just selling, do you think that's good, bad, indifferent for the team and the league? It's funny that you said that because I, I was literally just about to say that I think the Mets' problem right now is the indecisiveness. I think that um, I, I think that there's a path to success in both routes if they choose to buy or if they choose to sell. I think the big thing is having a plan that they commit to 110% and roll with it. I would say stop bouncing back and forth in between. Uh, either one to me is, like I said, I think I could see a path for success by in, in either route, but. I would make my decision committing to one of the two plans 110% and roll with it from there. I think that the track record from teams in the most recent years who, who have decided to go for the, uh, the total sell rebuild, uh, you see them bounce back and 
you saw the Astros do it. They came back and won the World Series three, four years later. So the track record is there on that side of things. Um, on the other side, if they wanted to, to hold on to their guys, uh, DeGrom's on the mound right now, actually, in the game. But uh, like I said, I, I see success if they decide to hold on to those those assets that they do have, if they have a plan in place that's going to be in, that involves building around them. If they if they don't see a real true plan that they can find success in building around DeGrom and, and Syndergaard and quick enough where it, it's worth it for the Mets, then I think they have to do the uh, the right thing and, and decide to sell. But that's that's kind of internally what they feel. It's almost like a genie came up to the front office of the Mets one day and we're like, all right, you got three options here. You know, option A, tank, go and like figure it out. Just go down in the dumps, draft, build the prospects, and come back up. Number two, retool, keep the pitchers, try to trade for some prospects and some ready-made talent, and, and, and try to get the best of both worlds. That one's a little more challenging. Uh, option three, buy. Spend your money. You're a big market team. Go get a star. Go get some free agents. And the Mets were just like, nah. We're just gonna do nothing. Like we're gonna we're gonna pick none of those. We're gonna make our own plan, and, and the plan has no no direction. It seems so. It's very frustrating as a Mets fan. Uh, but overall, from this this idea with the Mets possibly considering the tank here, do you think that works in New York? Do you think that works in this market? Because we've seen the Knicks kind of try to do it, and they didn't do it quite right. The Nets have been in the tank now for some odd years. I mean, now that you've experienced life in New York, New Jersey area, and then now you're down in Atlanta for the past couple of years, do you think it's different per market, or is that us New Yorkers just being a little bit full of ourselves? I think it's a little bit of both, but I could see why a team would be hesitant to do it in a big market like New York. Uh, I definitely think there's more that goes into that decision than, than, say, a team like the Royals, who could very well, very easily decide to make that decision. But also, I don't think that it should be the main factor in determining why or why not they should sell. I think they have, they have to do what's best for the organization, uh, regardless of, of the market that they're in, and and kind of just move forward in that in that regard and uh, and do what they can to 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 build for the future. It, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it kind of seems like they're in a point where they're stuck between like the, those three options that you just listed, and uh, I think the, the quickest route to success for them is is committing to one of those fully, 110 percent. And fun fact, as we sit here on Tuesday night uh, for this release uh, podcast release on Wednesday, as Degrom's on the mound here, he currently has a higher WAR than his win total, <laughs> which is extremely challenging. That's crazy. Oh man! I, I, if I'm if I'm the Mets, I'm looking I'm looking at the, the packages that I can get for for both Degrom and Syndergaard, and and I'm definitely considering that. Um, it's yeah, I, th- I think what they can get in return is is definitely going to be a, a pretty good package for them from a contender who wants that front line guy heading into the postseason. Uh, the trout, yep, trout just went yard too. So now both <laughs> trout, both both guys that we've been speaking about, yeah. trout and judge, have homered in the first three innings of the All Star game. And I think that both you and I would agree that the, neither of them are quite as popular as they should be in terms of national recognition. Judge Judge is close, but. Yeah. Trout is nowhere near where he should be, and it's just interesting how those two names are the uh, the first two to put runs on the board for the All Star team here. I mean, think about it, Aaron Judge in two, uh, it's like two maybe is, is it two years now? Because last year was his first full year. He had like a quarter season the year before that. Now he has another half a season, so he's basically at two full years, and he's 
probably as popular, if not more popular, than Mike Trout, who has been the best player in baseball for five seasons. It's insane. Exactly. It's insane. I just don't understand why Trout doesn't get the recognition that he that he deserves. I don't know if it's playing out in the West Coast or what, 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 what not, but uh, those two guys should be all over the place right now, and, and they're just not. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure why. And uh, Steve Rosen, Georgia State assistant. Uh, let me try again. Steve Rosen, assistant coach of Georgia State baseball team, also the founder of the Catch Big Academy, joining me today on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Uh, before we jump back into your coaching career and the Catch Big Academy, which is really cool, I actually do want to hop back to Bryce Harper because we were talking about the Yankees being a dynasty and being good for baseball. And the better they do, the more the haters come out of the trees again. Because, you know, if you don't like the Yankees, but they're not exactly the big Goliath or the big favorite, you can kind of find yourself rooting for them. You can find yourself rooting for Aaron Judge. But then all of a sudden, the Yankees are back on top, and the Yankee haters are like, nope, screw this, Yankees. It's unfair. You guys, this and that, whatever. You know how the Yankee fans, uh, Yankee haters do, which I can be one of them every once in a while. Bryce Harper, in and of himself, is that type of force where he does bring on a lot of hate. In my opinion, I think that's fantastic for the game just because it's making people feel something. It makes the fans love him or hate him. And that's something that's really important in sports. Think about Michael Jordan, one of the greatest athletes of all time. People either loved him and had their post- his posters on the wall or wanted him to break his leg every single game out. And that's what you get with Bryce Harper. Do you see the same thing? Oh, I, could, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think... I think it has a lot to do with the passion that he brings to the game. And, and I think that carries over into the fans and, and their hate towards him. But uh, I'm with you. I think it's great for the game of baseball. I think the more, more often you can have guys showing their true personality and expressing themselves on the field. Uh, I think it's great for the game. I think that's one thing that the NBA does, like we talked about earlier, that uh, helps encourage the individuals of the game and promote them. Uh, I, I think the, the baseball should be doing more of that. And I think that, um, Anytime we can encourage guys to be themselves on the field, uh, we should be doing that because I think it helps them connect with the fans, like you were saying. Now, do you think Bryce Harper will continue to be himself when free agency comes around and he may be heading out of Washington? Um, I'm not sure. I think that he, uh, I think that he will continue to be himself on the field. I think that he, uh, I think it's just ingrained in him. I think that's his DNA to be that type of player. And I think that it doesn't matter what team he's heading to. I think he's going to bring that kind of drive with him uh, wherever he goes. I'm really interested in seeing how it works out. Uh, we I, we talked before the show. I was telling you how big of a Harper fan I am and, and have been forever. But um, I was, to be honest, I was a little disappointed this past offseason when we brought Stanton in as a, uh, in the trade because to me that signaled that they were kind of shying away from the idea of bringing Harper in eventually down the line. And, and I've always wanted to see him in pinstripes. I know he's a big Yankee fan and has always dreamed about playing for them. So like I said, I, I mean, it's hard to be disappointed when you bring in the national league MVP. <laughs> see, this, six, is why no one, and, this is why no one likes Yankee fans. <laughs> exactly. Because you're disappointed in, in getting a national league MVP on your team. But like I said, I, I have, I've had a thing for Harper for a long time. I've always loved watching him play love the energy he brings, love the passion he brings. And I think that um, whatever team is lucky enough to, to sign him this next season, it's just going to bring a uh, – he's going to bring a ton to that to that team, that market, to the game of baseball. Um, I, I think, like you said, guys like him are great for the game, and I, I think there should be plenty more of them. So if he doesn't go to the Yankees, let's rule them out, because obviously that's where you would like to see him. 
Is there another team that you think would be, you know, maybe the more exciting, the most exciting for him that you would really like to see him go to? Or do you think staying in Washington might be that spot? I want one of these big names, it, it, whether it's it's Harper or even if it was Machado, I want one of them to land with this core down here in Atlanta with these with this group of young guys that they have here. Uh, I know the, the Braves were they might have been rumored in some talks in this Machado trade discussion because of some needs that they feel they have at third base. But I, I, I don't know if that's going to if that's going to uh, end up being anything. But whether it was Harper or Machado, one of those big names joining forces with the core uh, that they have going down in Atlanta, the, the young guys, Acuna, Albies, uh, and then pairing them with guys in the middle of that order, Freeman, Marquecas is an all-star this year. I, I think it would be uh, um, a pretty powerful lineup if you get one of those big name guys like Harper into that, uh, that Atlanta Braves lineup next year. By the way, what year is this? Because Matt Kemp and Nick Markakis are the NL starting outfielders. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, I'm so happy for a guy like Markakis. It's always cool to see a story like that, a guy who just who gives it his all his whole career. I, I forget what year exactly he's in. I think he's 35, 34, 35 years old, uh, starting in the All-Star game, his first ever All-Star game. I, that's awesome. You love to hear stories like that. It just shows the uh, – the grit and the, the, the determination that guy has to be successful. It's, it's just a good story for any young kid who's watching this game right now. I think that uh, that's awesome to see Mark Akis out there starting this game. You can always get better. You can, always. Yeah, you know, there's just always something for you to work on. There's always something for you to get better at. And, you know, he's been a pretty good player his whole career. He had some down years, and then boom, all-star for the first time at age 34. That was really cool. Um I guess it's time now to hop back over to uh, your coaching career. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with the MLB at whole or at large or anything else specifically? No, I, I think we got to cover that. That was, could, pretty, that was pretty good stuff. All right, so Georgia State is a big-time program. First of all, it's a huge school. Am I, am I wrong? There's a lot of students there in general? Yeah, a ton of students. Actually, most students out of any school in the state of Georgia, over 50,000 when you combine uh, each of the campuses that Georgia State has. So. Wow. Tons of kids uh, right in the heart of downtown Atlanta. A really, really cool place to be. Actually, just uh, in the past uh, year and a half, took over the uh, Turner Field property that the Atlanta Braves actually used to own about uh, two years ago, two, three years ago, when the Braves announced that they were changing stadiums and moving to a different county. Uh, Georgia State University actually uh, purchased the Turner Field property, and now uh, all of our athletics are, are based out of Turner Field, which is a pretty cool experience for for all of us that are involved, especially our baseball program, who uh, now uh, is changing and uh, getting ready for game days inside the Braves old locker room where guys like uh, Chipper and Maddox and, and those, those great arms used to uh, do the same thing. So it's a pretty cool experience for all of us. Uh, awesome to see the reaction from the kids when we uh, were able to get in there. And uh, like I said, just great time to be at Georgia State. Great school, great area, and uh, loving every bit of it. I'm assuming they didn't leave their World Series trophy from the 90s in there, did they? No, they didn't. They have, they have some <laughs> pictures. They have some pictures still up on the wall around the, the murals around the room, but uh, no, they, they took the trophies with them. And this is going to be your third season with Georgia State. Correct. I, I actually started as a graduate assistant with Georgia State uh, two years ago. Was able to do my uh, my grad school while working for the baseball team, and that uh, that led to an opportunity to stay on with the coaching staff when I completed grad school and. Uh, like uh, like you just said, yep, this will be my third year. Second as assistant coach, third year with the program. So uh, I'm itching to get back. Uh, guys have been 
uh, gone for a few weeks now. They're, they're all doing their own thing, summer ball-wise, playing in different uh, competitive collegiate leagues around the, the country. And uh, we've been following along, tracking how they're doing this summer, uh, itching for the opportunity to get back in August and, and get working again. Looking forward to another another great season. Uh, have some good good talent coming in, some good talent returning on our roster, and I, I think we'll have a, a real successful year next year. I'm, I'm ready to get going. And just to give a feel to the listener here to to talk about the scale of Georgia State, the, your baseball program, like you guys play all the big comp. Like you're you guys have some some real games. Obviously, the in-state teams you play against, you travel to Alabama and play at Alabama. I still I remember because obviously, follow, like I said, following at Catch Big Academy is a great follow. Also following Steve Rosen. Uh, his personal account on, on Instagram is a good follow because, you know, every weekend you're at a new college campus that's beautiful or you're at Turner Field, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, the, the scale of your program is legit. It's legit Division One, and there's some real, real talent. Uh, now that you've been, you know, training people on the side, guys who have been lucky enough to be drafted, you're, you're seeing all this top-tier college athlete, athletes where where are you at now with judging these kids? Can you can you pick out a kid, uh, whether it be someone on your Georgia State team or a competitor, and just be like, wow, that guy has it. Like he has a chance to to make runs in in Major League Baseball or through the minors or whatever. What is the level of talent that you're seeing out there? Oh uh, yeah, it, it's um, outstanding. It was honestly it was kind of a culture shock for me coming down to uh, Georgia and making the move from Jersey to Georgia and just seeing how competitive and how uh, how much of a different level youth and uh, high school and travel baseball is down here in the South. It's, um, it's everything down here. And, and the talent we see, like you said, professional, uh, professional talent, maybe not at that time, but definitely uh, in the future. And um, I'm very lucky to be a part of it. I'm very lucky to be uh, involved in, in college baseball and, and the community that comes with it. Um, uh, talent wise, absolutely. It's getting easier. The more games you watch to identify talent, I was fortunate enough to work work with the Trenton Thunder organization up in Jersey before I came down here for two years. So that was a great experience for me watching so many minor league games at, the, at a very competitive double-A level in the in the Eastern League with the Trenton Thunder. So that was uh, was huge for my own personal experience in terms of evaluating talent. And then, yeah, like you were saying, uh, down here now working with guys, you can kind of see when they have it, when they when they got it, that it factor. Um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be in it with their talent per se, it, it can even just be their, their work ethic, their drive that you notice is at a, just a different level than the average person, the, the average, uh, you know, just ball player who's out there because they love the game. These guys have a drive that's, uh, it's just at a different level. You can see professional athletes are there. I mean, there's a reason they're, they're professionals, right? They, they have this, uh, this it factor to them that they want it more than everybody else. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And, uh, that combined with some of the talent that you see down here is when you know you got something, got something special in the works. And I think it's a good exercise to talk about with any sport. Obviously, the conversation always kind of hits its peak, you know, in the rise of the college football season, and then again in the rise around March Madness time. College baseball, obviously, the College World Series becomes a, a pretty big deal, but it's probably not quite on the scale of those other two. But just to give an idea, Steve, can you? Just walk people through what it's like to be a Division One athlete. Obviously, you and I experienced it at a lesser level, Division Three, being those Division Three athletes, and it was almost like a full time job at that level. It was pretty much was honestly with class and everything. It was a full time job. Now at this level, 
how much of a commitment is is it to be a Division One athlete at Georgia State? It, it's uh, like you said, it's, it's a full time job. There's not really any other way to explain it. Um, the thing that separates uh, the successful people from the unsuccessful people are the ones who realize that and commit to that fact. Um, if you want success, you're going to have to commit to the lifestyle that it takes to have it because at the end of the day, there's so many kids out there who want the opportunity to play baseball at a Division One college. And uh, if you're not willing to put the work in, I can guarantee you there's somebody that is. So um, regardless of just how much work it is and, and what you feel like you, uh, you have to do as a student athlete, uh, the first thing you have to understand before anything else is that there's someone right behind you that's willing to do it if you're not. So understanding that idea and committing to the life of a, of a student athlete is something that you have to do from the beginning. And uh, once you do that, I feel like you'll, you'll find success. But like you're saying, it's a full-time job. These kids, uh, you know, we, we practice every day almost. We, we obviously, we have to stay in, in, uh, in line with uh, compliance rules regarding our when we're allowed to be out and for how long and, and things of that nature. But uh, full body of work from August to the end of May when, or end of June, if you're lucky to continue to play through that long, um, it's pretty uh, incredible the amount of work that these kids put in in that time period between August and, and the end of June and, and just how hard they work. And um, again, so lucky and so fortunate to be a part of it. Um, it's a really, really amazing experience for me seeing these kids go through uh, the past two seasons and the success they had and uh, playing a small role in that success is something that I'm really fortunate to be a part of and very thankful for. So like you said, it's, it's a grind, but these kids are willing to do it. And, and it's impressive. The guys who can, uh, can do it at the highest level. Now speak, speak to some of the, those guys that you mentioned who have been lucky enough to be drafted, give them, give them a little shout out. I know that you always shout them out on your social media. Uh, so, so who are some of these guys mm-hmm. and, and what are they up to right now that you've coached? Yes. So, uh, we actually had two guys that ended up, uh, signing with pro teams this past season. Fortunately uh, for me, my catcher, Nick Gatewood, uh, had a hell of a year, a junior catcher at Georgia state this past season. Um, kind of unfortunate because the stats don't necessarily tell the whole story of the kind of year that Nick had. Uh, unfortunately, with about two weeks, I think it was, left in the season uh, due to how much he was catching for us every single day and the offensive workload he was carrying for our team. He actually got real sick at the end of the season and um, struggled mightily through the last two weeks just because of how ill he was. But the kid hit uh, damn near 380 the whole season. Uh, led our team with 13 homers, ended up getting drafted in the 11th round by the San Diego Padres. So big shout out to Nick for that accomplishment. Couldn't be happier for him and for his family. Uh, both his parents were, are at every single game, come on every single road trip. His dad, uh, his dad would even load his uh, hotel room bath up with ice for him on the road after every game, just so that Nick could continue to catch every game for us this past season. So, uh, one of the cool things to see when you're involved in the game at this level is is the full circle for the family involved and for uh, a family like Nick's to to just see them realize all of their hard work together, the family, the parents, the kid. The past 18 years, this game has been everything for them. And to see that come full circle ending with being selected in the MLB draft is just a, um, an amazing thing to, for me to be a part of. And I'm, I'm so happy, again, to have played a small role in that for Nick. A, a small role, but a, a little, a little role. Man, uh, man, give yourself some credit, and, uh, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another guy we had, uh, Justin Jones, our shortstop senior, 
first ever four-time uh, academic All-American at Georgia State University in any sport. Wow. Uh, couldn't, couldn't say any uh, nicer things about Justin. The kid had a 4.1 GPA through four years of playing shortstop for, uh, for Georgia State. Absolute gold, gold glove caliber defender. Um, he, he was, unfortunately, he wasn't drafted, but he was picked up right after the draft uh, by the Los Angeles Angels, signed a pro contract with them uh, once they had a, uh, an injury workout in their draft process. And uh, fortunately for Justin, he was able to sign a pro contract. So shout out to Justin Jones, signed with the Los Angeles Angels, and he's out in uh, Arizona, I believe, right now, playing along with uh, Nick, who's with the Padres. Fantastic, man. That's awesome. It's really cool to be able to see just the people that you saw work every day and they put in the time, they put in the effort and, and it, it paid off to get them to the point where they now need to continue to put in that work and that effort and be about that life so they can continue to move up the ranks. That's fantastic. Is uh, Do you consider Nick the first catch big member? He's, I don't know if he's quite the first. Uh, again, due to some compliance things, we have to wait until he clears out of our range to consider him a catch big guy, which now <laughs> we do being that he's, he's with San Diego, but uh, he's definitely one of the, we would joke around all through school uh, when he was practicing that uh, he's the face of Catch Big. And, hey. and we, I try to give him that recognition. He has the hair for it. He's got the long red flow that that uh, definitely um, helps market his face and his role with Catch Big. So we love having Nick uh, come into the gym and work with us when, you know, when he's in town. He's unfortunately uh, out there now, so it's, can't work with him right now but i'm looking forward to it when he comes back that's really cool um again catch big academy on instagram check it out for sure it's a really great follow um let's talk about this because we mentioned earlier how you're you're training some some younger athletes as well and they are serious about the game and they work their they work their rear end off they take it serious and they probably put in more work than half the guys who may already be in college that's how hard some of these kids uh work and train and try to be better at their craft so that leads me to the conversation of specialization in sports. So basically, you know, the old older generation than even you and I, who are in our mid-20s now, you know, our parents or oldest cousins or whatever, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, you know, their thought process was, oh, you're supposed to just be out playing, like whatever, play these sports in the park, play them on the, in the field, in the street, whatever, street ball, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm talking about. And then slowly and steadily, we were younger, and it started to become more and more organized, more and more serious, and travel ball, AAU, and basketball. Uh, the, the, the youth football circuit has become more intense. So that has led to more specialization in sports. So you have more kids just playing basketball at an earlier age or just playing baseball at an early, earlier age. Now, obviously, if you're a junior, senior in high school or a freshman in college and you pick one, that isn't that crazy of an, of an idea. But have you seen now with all the baseball players you're working with that they've just said, I'm done with every other sport, I'm all about baseball? Or do you still see a lot of guys playing multiple sports? It's really interesting because I, I get a really unique perspective at it. And um, it's kind of a shame, too. I, I, I think it works both ways because uh, as someone myself who grew up playing football, baseball, basketball, uh, I'm a huge advocate for playing multiple sports. I think it's great for you. I think it uh, allows you to rest your body when you're not playing, for example, a pitcher uh, taking a break from the game. It allows him to rest his arm. So different games, different sports allow you to take a different rest at different times of the year. And I think that's huge for developing as a, as a ball player in any sport. Uh, I think playing different sports helps build athletic movements um, in a number of different ways. 
I think there's a lot of things that uh, I did on the basketball court as a player, agility-wise, that helped with my footwork as a catcher when I would come back in the fall and, and get ready for baseball. So I see there being tons of benefits to playing multiple sports and learning multiple games. However, on the same side of it, I just got done telling you how coming down to Georgia was a culture shock for me in terms of seeing the travel baseball down here and just how competitive it is and, and the, uh, the size and the strength and the talent of the kids at such a young age is really encouraging other people around the game to realize that, oh, damn, these, these kids are pretty good. I guess I got to stick to baseball year round just to compete with them. So it's, it's, kind, of, uh, it's kind of a shame that that has to happen. Uh, because again, I, if it was up to me, I would be an advocate for playing multiple sports and, and, and building your body in a bunch of different ways and, and learning a bunch of different games. I think that it benefits the athlete tremendously. Uh, I, I think it's unfortunate when I see a, a sophomore uh, in high school who, who loves baseball and would, would do anything to play baseball at the next level, but tell me that, uh, oh, I, I had to quit basketball so that I can focus on baseball. Uh, I, I'd rather talk to that sophomore and, and tell him uh, continue to play basketball man have a good season i hope you hope you score 20 points and get 10 boards a game if it was up to me but uh it's just interesting how it's definitely shifted to that idea of specialization in, in sports i guess it's a double-edged sword like you said because on one hand it really can help excel uh somebody to the next level but then it could take away from other aspects of their life and 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 who knows what each path may have led to and also another thing that some people like to put into uh into the whole specialization thing is injuries. Do you think, you know, you're like a trainer, you're a coach, you're around the sports all the time now. Do you think that that has anything to do with injuries, whether it be pitcher injuries or anything in general? For sure. I, I think you see it all the time. Kids are throwing pretty much year round now. And then the, the other interesting part is you have people within the game of baseball who encourage those things. Some guys, some some pitching people out there feel that you need to throw all the time in order to strengthen your arm. So again, it, it's kind of up to the individual and the, the coach and different met, uh, methods of, of what brings out the best performance on the field. But uh, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that um, it's a shame that we can't benefit by playing from multiple sports and that we, our kids are kind of because of the competition and, and even because of some of the business side of things that have elevated the, the travel leagues and the travel circuit because of um, money really related issues is, is a shame that kids feel they, they have to force themselves into playing or committing to something uh, year round just to be able to compete with the, the talent around them. Well, hey, Steve, you know you said you were being biased before with the Yankees. Well, this is a really, true, a really truly unbiased moment you just had right here because realistically, you're sitting here as the founder of the Catch Big Academy. You train athletes on all different levels. You are the type of person who would benefit from specialization. People who want you to train them all year round, like, that would be a benefit to you, and yet you are being unbiased here. So you said you were biased by the Yankees, but I got to give you a shout out because <laughs> that was a, a, a very responsible response there. You know what I mean? And for sure, like, exactly. I, yeah, of course, I want to continue working with you all year long. I think that we can definitely get better as, as a baseball player, as a catcher specifically, if you're working with me uh, in any time of the year, out of season, in season, whenever it is. Um, I have nothing against coming in and, and working as hard as you can and as frequently as you want to. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that it's awesome when guys want to work hard. Um, I just don't think that they should be forced into choosing one over the other. And I think that uh, there's nothing wrong with having it the best of both worlds where you're going to, if you can keep up with it, if you're going to basketball practice uh, all week and you want to come in for a catching lesson on the weekend, then 
all the power to you. I think that's awesome. I think that that kid shows that he's motivated and he wants to succeed. So um, not personally, not uh, totally straying away from wanting to do catching lessons year round, but I totally understand when, when guys want to play other sports. And, and I think that there's definitely an extreme benefit to doing so. Absolutely. Uh, what is a, What is an age you think uh, people should maybe say, all right, basketball has been awesome to me or football has been awesome to me or baseball has been awesome to me, but I'm at this age now where college is becoming a real thing. Scholarships are on the table. What is that moment or that age where you think these kids have to make that decision? Because it has that, to happen good, sooner or later, obviously. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that the big thing is that I don't know if there's necessarily a, a cookie cutter answer to it. I, I would say that it, it's got to kind of be up to each individual kid and if uh, it, uh, into each individual situation. I think that obviously if you're a kid who's a sophomore in, in high school, your body projects really well. You're gaining an increasing velocity every time you go out there and throw and you're feeling stronger and, and you're showing signs of predictability, of projectability as a pitcher at the next level, then yeah, I, I totally understand sophomore, junior year, high school, you want to make an adjustment and, and shift to baseball and, and gearing towards that next level. I understand that, and I'm all for that. But uh, again, I think it's kind of a, a by-individual uh, basis when it comes to that idea. Very interesting. And I, I you know, I definitely hits home with me. I, I played football and baseball and ran a little track in between in high school. And I even, I wanted to play basketball but because of football, you know, freshman football happened. And at the end of the season, you, you know, I got, I got moved up to the next level for, for, for JV playoffs, which is a semi-common thing for a handful of players every year uh, in, in my program. And I, I missed tryouts for basketball. I, I literally just, I was still on the team. And in the moment I was like, you know what? I'm just going to run track or whatever. I got to get ready for baseball. And it was one of the only regrets I had in high school was not, not going out there and trying out for the basketball squad. So I, that's it, so funny that you say that because I did the exact same thing. And it's one of my biggest regrets of high school is that I didn't play my senior year of basketball, uh, having made the decision to go, to go stick to baseball full time. And, and you tell me, I'm interested in your thoughts. Do you think that, uh, you playing football. I remember watching, I remember being with you in college freshman year, watching your high school receiver highlight tape. Do you, do you think catching those 80 yard streaks down the field made you a better outfielder when it came to going down and chasing a, a fly ball? Well, I think it was actually the opposite in a way because I didn't play football until high school. So I walked onto the high, the football field as a, a person who had never had shoulder pads on before. So you were an outfielder. Yeah, playing receiver. exactly. I was an outfielder playing receiver. And it honestly, it took me probably to be realistic. It probably took me two full seasons to become a football player at any level. You know what I mean? Like I was a receiver, a, a receiver who walked onto the field and played as a freshman, played as a J, uh, on JV team and like was a starter and all that stuff. But I didn't feel like a football player until after two years where the physicality uh, became a thing. But as far as actual running and catching, absolutely. Being an outfielder just made that possible for me. So if I just played basketball, for example, and I go to the base, uh, the football field, learning how to run under a ball in the air or, or run to the spot, uh, those are things that being an outfielder uh, totally taught me. And if I wasn't, if I didn't have outfield, if say I was just a shortstop my whole life or something like that, or right. first baseman, I don't know if I would have been able to transition to wide receiver uh, as, as simply as I, as I was able to. So I think, in that aspect for me, it completely, completely helped. The only thing that I don't think could be simulated from a football standpoint is the physicality. Cause I, I, I was yeah. kind of a physical basketball player. I like to get in the lane, get fouled and all that stuff, but nothing like, uh, 
getting tackled when you don't see a guy coming. <laughs> no, exactly. And there's nothing quite like the physicality of football in any other sport, but that's kind of uh, specific, like you said, to football. But uh, again, I think it's interesting that uh, I could very well see how a, a, a youth uh, football player or baseball player, say 12, 13, 14-year-old, uh, could definitely benefit from playing both sports, just like how you and I were just talking about. And for me also, uh, I'm one all for that. yeah, one last thing from my, from my end here, uh, and then I'll, I'll let you go again before we maybe talk a little Knicks and some basketball for a hot second. But I, I, I think when I started playing high school sports, you know, I wasn't really lifting weights for baseball. I was a basketball player and a baseball player, and I wasn't lifting weights. I was obviously like running and working out and playing my sport but I wasn't lifting. So football got me to lift weights, which turned out to be uh, a good thing in regards to every other sport, whether it be track oh, yeah. or I'm, baseball. I'm so, glad you, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, a huge part of what we do at Catch Big Academy that we feel separates us uh, a little bit from other um, baseball coaches and, and uh, organizations out there is our focus on nutrition and fitness and, and being in the weight room. Uh, like you said, when I was in high school, uh, it was something that was pretty new to me, and I was really, uh, I was really self-educated, but I was very naive at the same time. So everything that I learned about uh, working out in high school, I self-taught myself by doing research online. And uh, if I could go back again, another regret I have, like we were talking about with basketball, uh, if I can stress to any high school kids or younger kids out there who might be listening, is just how important the weight room is in developing your body and and uh wanting to reach your goals uh it's it's pretty much everything and if i uh if i didn't have basketball as my number one regret of high school my number two regret would be uh the fact that i stopped working out during both of my baseball seasons my junior and senior year same man um, and by the middle of the, the season you're losing a little strength i was under the impression that it was a bad idea to work out during the season i thought that my arms would be sore during the game and i thought that my chest would be tight and uh, I totally was just mistaken, and I wish that I could go, go back and redo those things. So uh, anyone listening out there, make sure that you're, um, you're really putting an emphasis on, on developing your body, building your body the, the correct way, the smart, correct way, which is a huge part of it, and uh, working hard, again, to, to build your body up to the point where it allows us to do the things that we need to do to be successful on the field. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think – each season of mine in baseball, there was like that middle point where I just like felt fatigued and there was no real reason. I was like, you know, I was sleeping I was eating right. But all of a sudden, like my body felt lethargic and I was like, what the hell is going on here? And it took another couple of weeks for me to like get back in a groove. So that was something that I looking back, you know, maybe maybe we could blame uh, programs, but they, they may have not even known as much at that point either when we were in high school. So the now now. These kids are lucky enough to have people like you teaching them the right way and keeping them fit, keeping them at their peak for as long as possible in their season. Exactly. And the, the big thing is that the information is out there. So just yes. go, go do the research. The information is available at your fingertips. So any uh, any young player can learn uh, exactly what he should be doing and how he should be doing it just by typing a quick search into Google and, and finding the right reliable sources. So the information is out there. you got to take the time to go to go study it and, and read it and learn it. And then uh, – ultimately apply it to your game and also follow catch big academy on instagram <laughs> and that's it that's it You'll all right some good stuff so we've already gone for a little bit of uh, a long time here but it's been a good conversation fantastic to have you but i can't let you go without talking a little bit of nba a little bit of basketball a little bit of our knicks here so steve take the floor what do you like about our guy kevin knox 
Yeah, so I don't uh, any uh, I don't know if your listeners well I'm sure they don't know this. I was fortunate enough to spend some time working with the Knicks front office and oh, have yeah. a little Dude, bit of a, actually, a, a, oh my emotional God. connection to them. So I, I spent a year working as uh, in the basketball operations department with them. So I am so definitely. mad. Wait, hold on. Sorry, I need to cut you off for a second. I am so mad at myself because I am well aware that that was a part of your life. Like I knew it, I knew that, and I am now officially a bad interviewer because I completely forgot about that. <laughs> It was an unbelievable experience I had, and it's something that uh, I'll always look back on and have a unique perspective when it comes to the Knicks, growing up a fan of theirs forever, and then having the opportunity to work for them before. Uh, I guess myself shifting full-time to baseball, like we've been talking about this whole this whole time, but uh, yeah, like I said, that was an awesome experience. It, it really gave me an inside look at how, how things are done in, at the NBA, and uh, I, I was one of the kids who, who texted you the day of the, the night of the draft. I, I, I know we, we were talking about it. Um, it was hard with the Knicks on the clock and Michael Porter's name up on the board to just not to not want to go for it, hearing everything we've heard about him for the last. I mean, if he had come out a year ago, he would have, or I'm sorry, two drafts ago, he would have been likely the number one or two pick. And that's kind of the only thing you ever heard about him. So when you're sitting there as a, a kind of, uh, here and there, college basketball fan who who watches when you can and, and didn't get to see a whole lot of college basketball this season, and you see Michael Porter's name on the board, you're like, man, is this a mistake if we're not going for him? But I think you you hit it on the head when you you said go with Knox because uh, what it just came out before, I think he was first team uh, summer league. Yes, so. he was. It's not much. There's not a lot that the Knicks get to celebrate. So I guess we can celebrate <laughs> a first team uh, all summer league selection. You got to count your blessings where you can, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I saw. I think it was a meme that had it. Uh, it was the Knicks championship banner up at Madison Square Garden, and next to it said Kevin Knox scored 35 points in the summer league, something like <laughs> yeah. that. I thought. I thought that that was great. That's total Knicks right there. Oh, man, because Knicks fans are all or nothing. It's like, oh, this is the worst <laughs> thing that ever happened to the organization. Like, what are you doing? And then he, he dunks, you know, on two people in the summer league, and it's like, I love this guy. He's it's the like, best. Yeah, it's the, 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 new best, the new face. Better yeah. Who's Przingis? That's what everyone's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so from a directional standpoint, you know, we were talking a lot about the Yankees' direction, how they built up their team, how the Mets seem to not have a direction. Do you think the Knicks finally have direction? Because I don't want to talk about this. I did a whole pod on this the other day. So you take the floor. Do you think the Knicks have a direction? And if so, do you like it? I think the moment that they brought Fizz in, that that was their first direction in years. I couldn't have been happier with the hiring of Fizz. I think that uh, he's going to bring something to New York basketball that hasn't been there in a little bit. Um, I think that there's just a culture that he uh, that he builds, and I think that the respect he has from players around the league. I know LeBron has been pretty outspoken about how much he likes Fizz and, and how he enjoyed his time when he was playing under him. Um, I think that the respect from the players around the league shows a lot about a coach. And um, like I said, I'm really excited about that hire. I think that now there is some sort of direction. And I think that uh, if you're go, I think that the, the rebuild of the Knicks starts with what I said before, as, as it's true for any organization or any program is, is the culture. And I think the fact that they have Fisdale in place to build a culture, uh, he's proven that he could, I, I think he kind of got, um, let go pretty quickly in his last role, but I think he's proven that he can build a culture and sustain it, and I think that he's proven that he can get the respect from the guys. So I think that that hire was the first sense of direction that they've had in quite some time. Since you've been in the front office, right? 
Since, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the last, the last good eye was when I was in the front office. <laughs> All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Last thing before I let you go. What do you want to see as the Knicks starting lineup opening night? Obviously, I sans would, Porzingis. Yeah, with Porzingis in there? No, no, without, obviously without him. I guess you got to go Neil Aquina. I, I, I still put him in there over Moutier, in my opinion. I'd rather see him get going. Uh, I guess Hardaway's coming back. Cantor, I will be back. I hope. I guess. And then yeah, he's I, back. I don't know. And then uh, how, how do you pronounce his name? Heronzona. Hazonia. Hazonia. So he'll be two. And I think Knox. I'm hoping that he's in there as much as we can get him in there. I'm not sure what their plans are for uh, for filling in for Przingis right now. But what have you been hearing in that regard? Yeah, I think I think you might have it. I think that might be maybe the only option at this point is I, to really throw Kevin Knox there out there, right? Like, you know, we saw it firsthand last year with the Hornacek trying to get more out of the lineup and use some vets like Jared Jack. And then when Trey Burke got hot, and he he really. St- didn't give Frank a ton of run. And obviously he was a rookie and he probably got tired and this and that. But now I think all Knicks fans are on board. And Fisdale was one of the first things he said. He was like, I think Frank should have played more last year. And I don't see why the hell not Kevin Knox isn't starting at the three. He said, who else is starting at the three or the four? You know, exactly. he's like, and the, he's the like, thing is we've, we've talked about um, tanking a little bit on this show. And, and it almost seems like the Knicks have it in place where they can run a lineup out there that is, uh, presented as having direction like we're talking about because of the youthness to it and the uh getting those guys some minutes at a young age but also then allowing for that potential opportunity to tank by coincidence and end up with a nice pick uh heading into Przingis's return year and the, the year two of Knox so if it works out like that just because you ended up playing your young guys a good amount of minutes then hey uh, I think I'm okay with that I couldn't have said it better myself there is a good type of bad in the NBA and in the MLB. And there's a bad type of bad. And if Kevin Knox and Frank Nielakina and Mario Hazonia, who's still very young, he was in the same draft class as Porzingis. If they're all out there and they're getting burned and their numbers are up and they, they're making good plays and they're moving the ball, playing hard defense. It doesn't matter if they win 20 games or 38. Or 44. It doesn't matter. Obviously, 44 is not very realistic. Maybe 38 <laughs> is not realistic. They're probably going to win like 26 games. You know what I mean? But if they're playing hard defense, if they're moving the ball, and Frank, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, who we didn't mention yet, amongst some other dudes, if they're out there making plays, it's exciting. It's the good type of bad. Because the bad type of bad is Mello, D. Rose, and <laughs> young Porzingis you know, running into each other at half court and being like, I want the ball. No, I want the ball. That's bad. <laughs> Exactly. That's the all-star team that Derrick Rose thought he assembled when he came to New York. That's, <sighs> that's just the bad type of basketball, but I'm, I'm right with you. If those guys are out there, uh, I think the big thing for Fizz in his first year is just to get that buy-in in terms of the culture from the players. And I, like you said, if they're out there playing hard, competitive, uh, control what we talk about a lot in, in our sense of coaching with, with baseball is being out there controlling what you can control, uh, trust in the process, like the the Sixers always preach it. It's a cliche, but it couldn't be more true. So if those guys are out there working hard every game, controlling what they can control, getting a little bit better each day, buying into the culture that Tisdale has in place, if all of those things are happening and you still end up with a, a good draft pick, then, hey, that that's good tanking in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. All right, man, Steve Rosen on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Steve, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks for doing this. 
Yeah, we're going to have to do this again. I have fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the hour and 15 minutes flies when you're talking about who knows what with all types of sports, baseball, college, MLB. Oh, it's been, it was fun. It was a good times. Thanks. Was awesome. Man. Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate being on here and uh looking forward to the next chance we have to talk some more some more sports. Good luck if to I you. If I ever get my uh my Catch Big podcast rolling, you you got to come on and be one of my first guests. Oh, absolutely, man. I would absolutely love that. That would be that would be a blast. Uh so thanks for doing this. Good luck to you. Good luck to Georgia State. It's going to be a good one for you guys this season. I can feel it. So, again, thanks. And this is the Sports Blog New York Podcast signing off.